I was like, I want the horse to come running, galloping up to me. I want this to be my horse. And my therapist was like, why? I was like, what do you mean, why? Hi, thank you for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and abuse. I'm here today with Kaylin, and we are here to talk about equine therapy. I'm so excited to have you back, and thank you so much for coming. I am very excited to be back, and I'm also excited to talk about my limited experience with equine therapy. Yay! And now it's time for... Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Sexual assault, trauma, PTSD, substances, addiction, and the pandemic. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. So it's been a while since we talked. We haven't talked since, I think, early quarantine. Uh, and so I would like to to start with another round of, are you okay? Yeah, I am Okay. I just recently stopped working overnights. This is actually the first Friday and since before the pandemic that I'm not working Friday, Saturday overnight. And that feels really nourishing and good and listening to what I need. Finances will be a little less stable, but I think that since I'm in grad school and I was like kind of on the verge of a little emotional breakdown every week because of just being exhausted. I think this is probably what's best. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of what I hear about grad school. Yeah. That's yeah. Part of, part (laughs) of the the experience. Yeah. Grad school in itself. Like if I allowed myself to really realize how I always have something to do at every single hour that I'm probably not always doing, I would be that in itself is a little nerve wracking, but try to not think about it that way. <laughs> and it sounds like you're trying to to listen to yourself and take care of yourself. Yeah, um, definitely. I was putting my job that I've been doing. I've been at this place of work for almost three years, and I was definitely putting my job before school and before my um, mental health. And I just came to a point where I realized I couldn't keep doing that as much as I love my job very much. I just couldn't keep, couldn't keep going. It's a pretty important realization. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably can can relate to that happening. Yeah. There was a lot of guilt around like um, acknowledging that my work was short staffed and feeling as though they needed me more than I needed time off or needed to take care of myself. I felt it was an interesting dynamic that was happening within myself. And then I had a moment of realization where it's kind of like egocentric to think that a place of work needs me more than like I need me. Yeah. Mm. So all of these, and I'm actually still able to do, I still have a relationship with that job. I'll fill in shifts when I can and they need me. And I teach um, yoga for recovery there twice a week. It's a it's a treatment center for drugs and alcohol, a residential treatment center. So I'm happy to be going back there twice a week and still doing yoga. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're still there and still doing that, but that you are uh, making yourself a priority. Yeah, thank you for some, I had a big trauma response before even knowing what my work would say that I assumed that they would be mad at me oh. or like cut me off or like reject me in this, in a kind of way. But thankfully that's not what happened. And I was able to maintain um, connection. Wow. And the the trauma response was something that kind of resolved. There weren't like lingering effects or. No, I actually think it went over really well. It, I think it helped me in a really big way, learn how to express my needs and realize that expressing my needs is not a burden. It's not something yeah. that I should try to hide or tiptoe around. I actually got a haircut yesterday. And yo, your hair looks so good. <laughs> thank you. <It's> so <laughs> good. <laughs> thank you. But I was so yesterday I got this haircut and I got home and I realized there it wasn't quite exactly what I wanted. It was the first time I had ever gotten a haircut that I would I called them today and I was like, there's actually like I'm not I love my haircut, but I'm not a hundred percent feeling it. And I went back and got a little touch up fix. And um out of all of the bad like I loved my haircut yesterday and I've had haircuts that I hated that I did not go back and say anything because I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want to get them in trouble. I had like this whole backstory. So it felt really good to like voice my my needs and my wants and to be able to fulfill that by realizing that the barber shop that I went to they were like I was they're so glad that I went back and said what I needed and what I wanted and they were more than obliged and happy to help me with that. That's awesome. That that like never even occurred to me that that was an option. <laughs> I I've done bad haircuts myself as well in the past and yeah, that um good for you. Yeah, thank you. I I've always known it was an option, but I just always felt like I was going to be like that was a dick move or something. But when I went back, my hairstylist, it's actually a mom and a daughter combo and they were like, "We don't want you to get a haircut from us that you don't like." And God forbid, we would never want you to get a haircut that you don't like and then you don't come back because of it. Like we want to fix it and give you what you want. So it felt felt really good to express myself in that way. Yeah. I think like back when I was getting haircuts, I didn't have nearly enough, I don't know, self-confidence or self-esteem <laughs> to to have done what you did. I was I was like over a decade ago or something, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, your hair is probably really I it was long the last time I saw you, which was years ago, so it's long. It is <laughs> to my knees now. Wow. Um so it's um it's it's basically like a third wheel in my relationship. Like it has its own pillow <laughs> and bed and it's kind of like an entity at this point. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so cool. Is it is it really heavy though? It is incredibly heavy. Yeah, I keep it on top of my head like curled on top of my head because um yeah if it like hangs down then I can I can only do that for so long before it starts giving me like a headache or starts hurting my neck or you know stuff like that because it's um yeah it's like it's like a few pounds at this point um yeah but uh yeah uh, but I would really love to uh to hear about equine therapy and how how did you get into this 
Oh, first of all, like what what is equine therapy? So it's animal assisted therapy. The animal is a horse. I've been around horses before and I love horses. I think they're very magical beings. So I guess I'll I'll only speak from my my perspective because I think there's a lot of different ways, just like most therapeutic practices. My first session was I met with the therapist and we went on a tour of the property. So there was different corrals with multiple horses. It's also a boarding place, a horse boarding barn. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just walked around the paddocks or pastures and she introduced me to all the horses. I didn't hear all the horses' stories, but they all had their own little stories. And then we decided there was one bigger pasture that there were, I want to say four or five horses in. I automatically, what came up for me was horses are great with boundary work because they're often pushing boundaries and my own boundaries were being pushed because I noticed that in myself, I wanted the horse to like, I had this idea in my head that the horse was supposed to come to me and the horse was supposed to be like my calling soulmate horse. <laughs> and I and uh, the, the, was like, I want the horse to come running, galloping up to me. I want this to be my horse. And my therapist was like, why? And I was like, what do you mean, why? And she was like, why don't, why don't you want to walk up to any of the horses? I was like, because um, they're supposed to come up to me. And she was like, no, that's not necessarily. I was like, oh, oh my God, I, I can, love this. I was like, so I can just walk up to any of the horses and start petting them. They don't have to come up to me first. And she was like, yeah, that's, that's, any of them are fine. I was like, okay. So there was this horse, Willa, and it turns out she was like bred into being a therapy horse. So she was very kind and caring and she pushed up against me and I pushed up against her. So as I was petting her, she kept biting, not biting because horses bite hard, nibbling at my shoe. Hmm. And um, when she was doing that, I would move my foot back. And, and, and then I kept moving my foot back. And my therapist at one point was like, you know, with horses to like establish kind of dominance or submission is how much you move your feet how much horses move their feet around. So mm. actually by you moving your foot back, every time she goes to like nibble at your foot, it shows that she's okay to do that, that, that it's okay. That that's like a boundary that I'm not holding with this horse. And I didn't really think about it that way, but I was like, okay. She reminded me this horse weighs 800 or 900 pounds. So if I were to move my foot into the horse's mouth, it is not going to hurt the horse. I'm not full-blown kicking or anything. It's just like move your foot into the horse's mouth instead of moving it away to allow the horse to keep doing it. And it was actually only a couple times that I moved my foot that Willa stopped trying to nibble at my foot. So that the first thing that came up was was boundary work. And I really loved it. That's awesome. I've never thought of it that way, but it's, oh my gosh, it's so true. Cause yeah, if you, oh, if you've never been around horses, like they can be a little bratty. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> they, they, yeah. They'll like, they'll push you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you do need to like have boundaries and be assertive uh, with them. 
and uh yeah and they'll they'll play games with you they'll figure out like how far they can push you some of them i mean some of them are they have personalities like some of them are brattier than others but uh Mm -hmm. but yeah that's a great observation (laughs) thank you for talking about that that's so cool yeah there was another really funny thing that happened so i was petting willa and i was talking about relationship work and So I don't remember the details, but somehow family dynamics got brought in and I was talking about my mom and my sister and how I was like, oh, that's a whole can of worms that we don't need to go into on our first session right now. And then all of a sudden, as I'm talking about this, as as I'm talking about family dynamics, another horse comes galloping up towards us and this other horse steps between me and Willa and, um wants me to pet all of a sudden I hadn't pet this horse at all before and then my therapist like waited for me to pause and she was like I just have to tell you what's going on right now I was like what's going on right now and she was like this is Willa's brother and like you're watching family dynamics play out between these two horses as you're talking about your own personal family dynamics (laughs) and then off to the side was Willa and her I don't remember the brother's name but um, was her mom. And she was like, as you're bringing in these relational family stuff, like you're surrounded by this horse's family and the brother's picking on her. And it was really <laughs> interesting how, how it corresponded like that. I love it. That's spooky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's some nice synchronicity there. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? Did you, did you allow the brother to interrupt or did you like push him aside and go back to Willa? I um, continued to pet the brother, but he kind of left on his own. Willow was pretty... Actually, so I've only had two sessions, and um, I had an agenda before I went into my second session. I was like, I'm going to pet another horse. I'm not going to go to Willa. I'm going to pet the paint horse. The paint horse, like, wasn't into it. I was like, all right, fine. And then we... (laughs) We walk. So one of the big things I really like about equine is that I get to do a lot of walking around. So like the the property that the um, my therapist works on, it's a huge property. It actually has two different farms on it. Not that we go to the other farm. So I like to process things while I'm walking. Like I like to listen to podcasts while I'm walking. So it feel it felt really nice to just be outside and to walk around while doing talk therapy. And then, so going back to how I started, I said I wasn't going to hang out with Willa. And then I was hanging out with Willa. I was like, oh, hey, hey, girl, I guess we are going to hang out today. And um, I'm feeling like I really like to be around that particular horse. I'm definitely willing to explore other horses too. But as of now, we kind of just ended up together more than maybe some of the other horses. Well, it's nice to to kind of have like a relationship that you're sure of or like, I know that you'll accept me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely relate to that, what you were talking about earlier with the, the like, I want the horse to come running up to me <laughs> and to be magical. <laughs> yeah. You are my soul horse. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I I definitely I feel you. <laughs> and uh there is like this weird rejection fear that you find yourself kind of interacting with as you have to like introduce yourself to new 
horses mm-hmm. and kind of like interact with uh, with their personalities or yeah, yeah, just finding out like, oh my God, from afar, I thought you were this. Now I realize that you are a jerk. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's happened to me with horses and people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just like have these romantic ideas uh, about you know, individuals and, you know, from afar you get, you know, like your idea of a person or your idea of a horse and you go into that interaction, like, you know, with that in your head and and you can <laughs> be disappointed. Yeah. And sometimes like that makes you even afraid to, to approach them. It's like, oh, what if you disappoint me? What if you're, what if you're not magical? <laughs> what if you're just going to continue to eat hay and not even pay attention to me? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what happened for apples. Yeah, right. Oh, I need to bring apples next time I go. They said I could bring apples and carrots. Oh, yay. That'll Um, help. (laughs) That'll help a lot. They love apples and carrots. That's what happened with the paint horse. So I definitely have like a romanticized, I love paint horse. Oh, I was mini. I was going to ask you. So Mm -hmm. I'll ask you now. Do you have experience? It sounds like you have experience with horses. Oh my yes. I oh, yeah? um, I was so young that I don't remember learning how to ride. I learned how to ride when I was like 3 or 5 or something like that. My mother used to work at at a horse camp, so she and a friend uh she had a friend who who raised horses. And uh and so I learned on a horse named Storm, who was like the greatest horse in my life uh and was actually you could use speech to direct uh and actually it's it's funny because i was so young i don't actually remember the gender of storm Mm. storm is just like this mythic genderless horse in my life (laughs) 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 Um, so i'm just sort of like it was storm i don't know um (laughs) and uh but yeah you could you could actually like use voice commands to direct storm and storm would listen to you so like walk uh gallop canter stop uh, you know, or whoa, and uh, and Storm would listen, and that's great for a child, uh, especially like a child that's so small they're like barely on the horse. Yeah. Um, but I learned how to ride bareback first, um, so no saddle, and mm-hmm. then after that I learned Western saddle because I was actually in California, and I rode Western saddle up until the point that we moved to the East Coast, where they used Eastern saddle. Uh, and I had to learn how to ride in a completely different kind of saddle and a completely different kind of um, method. They use posting, uh, which is like that very British looking manner of of riding. Uh, and that's literally what it is, is like a, a British saddle, basically, uh, and a, a, a British, you know, method, whereas like the Western saddle like has the horn on the front that you just hold on to. And then you just sort of like submit yourself to the rhythm of like the hobbledy-hoy, hobbledy-hoy kind of like, um, (laughs) just sit your butt back and just like accept that this is, this is the ride, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, and then like the Eastern saddle is much more like this controlling kind of prissy, like, you know, up, down, up, down and moving, you know, that's, that's me, you know, being, kind of annoying about it like eastern saddle has beauty to it as well but coming from somebody who rode western saddle and had to learn how to ride eastern saddle i was like what is this nonsense (laughs) like what is going on (laughs) um and like having to wear like 
writing britches and like boots <laughs> and like the whole it just it just got like very um it, it just changed on me very <laughs> in a very major way. And uh and actually like, you know, and I I took I took lessons for for many, many years on the East Coast, but ultimately like had some really bad experiences. Mm-hmm. That kind of separated me from from pursuing like horseback riding, and uh, mm-hmm. and I ended up kind of drifting away from it, and ultimately just focusing on my art, which was you know like my my purpose in life, and so let let horseback riding go, and and ultimately like I just never formed that. I always wanted a relationship with a horse, and I just like never found it after Storm. You know, that's like a ho- hopeless romantic story. I love it. <laughs> I will and and it's also like you know there's the spooky side of it too cuz I was like I just really need to have like a black horse in my life like mm-hmm. it needs to be like a, I I need like a spooky horse where's mm-hmm. where's my spooky horse soulmate and uh and I would just see them from afar but never be able to actually like interact with them and there's actually like I went to uh I went to a horseback riding camp once and there was um like the ultimate like horse romantic story that I'll tell is this one. And it was about a horse named Obsidian, which is like the most badass name ever. Yeah. And then uh and Obsidian was a Mustang that had been captured. And so I I hated the camp. It was totally messed up and everything was horrible. Mm. Uh so that's your and, and I was miserable uh and just felt like dying the entire time I was there. <laughs> um and so there's there's that. And then Obsidian was this like untamed wild horse that like didn't want to be there either. Mm. <laughs> knowing that he had been stolen from, you know, whatever, you know, wilds that he had been inhabiting. He probably like had a, a Mustang family that he had been taken from. And I was like, that's fucked up, yo. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just like let Obsidian go. And um, and one night, like, I'm trying to sleep and I hear uh shouting through the camp in the middle of the night. I hear the sound of cantering like past my window and everyone's shouting and like <laughs> they're chasing a horse. Obsidian broke loose and went cantering like through the camp um, and he escaped. And I just remember being like, I don't know, like seven or something miserable, just hating everything about it. And, uh, and just like, peering out the window into the dark like not even being able to see him but like obsidian cantering past my like little camp hut window and me just being like go obsidian go (laughs) (laughs) they caught him but um but it was uh yeah but (laughs) I, i just like never forgot that moment you know and and obviously like i couldn't you know have that relationship you know i i couldn't you know, commune with the horse the way I'd always wanted because, you know, he was a wild Mustang. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was not safe to ride. Like no one was allowed to ride him. I don't know why he was there at the camp. But he was. <laughs> it sounded like Obsidian was um, calling you out to play like, hey, we both don't want to be here. Let's run around and be yeah. wild together. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely like Obsidian called to, called to my soul. That's awesome. I can I that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. And he was antisocial like me. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I mean Storm was really perfect, but Obsidian sounds yeah. like a close second. 
Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Storm is Storm is definitely like the greatest horse that's ever been in my life. And um yeah, and, and shows up in like the mandala that I made for my thesis. I have oh. Storm up up in there. So yeah. I love that. So, but anyway, so so yes, that's that's some of my experience with uh with horses. It it spans it spans uh at least a decade, but uh but petered out. And I, I really want to um to someday have horses back in back in my life. Um and I especially want to take my partner riding someday because he has never even met a horse. Oh wow. Like never even had the opportunity to um I mean, he grew up like out just outside of Boston, um, so not not a plethora of horses about. And there's definitely, you know, and I and I should mention, like, you know, often there's like a socioeconomic like kind of barrier with uh, with being around horses if they're not like farming animals or you're not, you know, like you don't like keep horses. Then, uh, you know, there's like a middle area of socioeconomic reality where it's like horses are not part of our lives. Horses are insanely expensive to have. Insanely expensive. Like just every every part of having a horse. Buying a horse is expensive. Feeding a horse is expensive. Doing a vet checkup is expensive, let alone if they have any kind of medical. It's very expensive. Yes. So yeah. to bring in Sosie, I actually, the place that I'm going, my therapist is I'm grateful. She does a sliding scale for equine, her therapy. Oh, that's and, awesome. And it, it made it more accessible. There were definitely times in my life that the amount that I'm paying right now would have not been accessible. So it's still not inexpensive, but in regards to how much therapy costs, it is on the lower end of the pricing scale for me, at least for um, on her sliding scale. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you found a place that does sliding scale. And thank you for mentioning that because it's really worthwhile for people to know that like, hey, that's like a question that you can ask. I mean, it it might not be possible at the place that you're looking at, but ask the question. They had the place I'm going has it on their website that they do sliding scale. And I highly recommend just from any therapeutic stance, if you see a therapist you like, to call them and do a consultation and see if they are willing to work with sliding scale because more, not everybody can and not everybody will, but a lot of people will, will work with you finance wise. And as a, a client going to find a practitioner, you also want to not lowball them and understand that just by going to school, you could be like a hundred thousand dollars in debt and you have multiple many years of training to get to where the person is to be offering private practice. So mm-hmm. there's a wiggle room and then also don't, I wouldn't, don't be like $10. It's like, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Medical, any, any form of uh, like professional or like medical kind of um, degree. Yeah. Generally like that, that is super real. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's, a definite failing in our in our country. Definitely. Yeah. That's like a whole conversation. I'm sorry I went there. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> I was actually just re- well, I was um to oh pun intended rain it back in. <laughs> sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was gonna happen. Somebody was gonna do it. And it- <laughs> 
I actually went before when I thought it in my head, I didn't think it was a pun. And then I was like, oh, this is a pun. Okay. <laughs> my experiences with horses when I was little. So I was really dead set on not being anything like my sister at all. I love my sister. And now we talk regularly, but I really didn't want to be anything like her. She rode horses when I was little. So when we were both little, she took horseback riding lessons. And we were in Tucson, we were in Arizona, but I think she did English, not Western. So I rem- yeah, I'm pretty sure she did. And I remember we would go to the barn to drop her off. My mom and I would drop her off and pick her up. And um, I just, just because I was a brat and I hated everything, I was like, I don't like horses. I like donkeys. So I was like (laughs) dead set on being like not a hater of horses and a lover of donkeys just because my sister liked horses. I think I always (laughs) liked horses though. I think I never didn't like them. I just didn't want to be exactly like her. I love that reaction. That's great. Yeah. No to horses. Yes to donkeys. (laughs) And I still really do I like get really excited whenever I see a donkey. <laughs> like, look at the donkeys. <laughs> They're so great. <laughs> when I was 17, I lived in New Zealand for a year. And one of the families, so in the town I lived in in New Zealand, there were two like sister towns. One was known for breeding thoroughbred horses. And the town that I lived in was known for training thoroughbred horses. So one of cool. my host's families. They were in the horse trading business. So on their property, they had horses. And I know I had ridden before that multiple times, not as much as my sister, but I got really into horseback riding because they had a, I don't remember the name of the horse. It was like, um, it was a pony. Actually, almost all the horse I've missed, all the horses I've mentioned so far are actually ponies, not horses. Okay. Um, small horses, I guess, smaller horses. But there was this, like, they had a horse that wasn't a thoroughbred. It was super barn sour. I did not like because it never left. But they let me ride that. They didn't let me ride any of the thoroughbreds. But they let me ride this fat, not thoroughbred horse that was barn sour. (laughs) I was like, I love this horse. Um, she, She kicked me off a few times because she wasn't that easy to ride. And then oh, I, wow. yeah, she just would lose it when she would be running back. So she would be fine going out in the whatever trail or whatever we were doing. But whenever we, she knew she was going back home, she would just book it. And I didn't have enough control yeah. over her to not have her book it. So there was like a few times she jumped like over creeks <laughs> while I was riding her. And I was like, uh, I don't, I didn't, I I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. I still loved her anyway. Gosh, I'm so bad with names. I don't remember her name. I think ever since then, I I have had like a really strong calling to horses, but haven't had very much exposure or experience with them. So one of the reasons why I decided I am in graduate school for somatic body psychotherapy that's much more of a body-based practice. So it's like learning from my body rather than my brain, which is really amazing. I'm really liking my therapeutic practice. But I realized after being in 
my graduate program for a semester that I actually had no personal experience being in therapy other than traditional talk psychotherapy. And I had a therapist and I, she's still my therapist. We did EMDR together, but now during COVID, it's not really possible to do that. And I realized that I wanted to explore more into a body-based present moment somatic counseling. So I just Googled it and this equine program that I'm doing popped up. It was one of the first first ones to pop up and I just went and I really, it, it was interesting. It was so different. It's so different than regular talk therapy because it is much more what's coming up in this moment for me. Like right now I just stopped and I realized all of my breaths, I was breathing really shallow. Mm. And now I'm I'm taking pauses because I'm doing like little somatic check-ins with myself. That's good. Being like, where is my breath? And how is that affecting, how is my body affecting how I'm showing up for this interview right now? And this is something that we do in an equine quite often that I'll be talking and my therapist will be like, I'll be petting the horse while I'm talking, but at this, at certain points, it will be very mindless petting. And then she'll ask me like, how, how is your body feeling right now while you're petting this horse and you're talking about whatever I might be talking about? And it allows me to get a little less, less in the past and more in the moment of how the past is affecting me right now. I can like drop into my body. And bringing that up, I am in a program that the word sensation, and we ask about sensations a lot. And I am actually a person that struggles to identify sensations within my body. And I think that is a symptom of being um, a sexual assault survivor, that I sometimes feel very out of touch. The more I explore in safe therapeutic environments, I'm more, I'm bringing more awareness to, to the sensations that I feel and working with the horses, working with touch, working outside, having those somatic check-ins while being in therapy is just, it just brings my therapeutic experience to a whole nother level that I wasn't able to reach by engaging in solely talk therapy. Well said. Thank you for talking about that. Yeah. It's interesting to talk about right now because I'm also kind of processing out loud why I do like this form of therapy so much. Don't you love that when it happens? Mm-hmm. That's that's why I, um, why, well, and I'm terrible because like I, uh, ooh, that was like a negative way to say it. Back that up. But <laughs> snaps uh, for catching that. <laughs> But I, I want very much to be better about journaling consistently because I used mm. to have a very strong journaling practice. And it was mm. a similar experience where things that I wasn't really conscious of or I hadn't articulated, they just like would just come out on the page, you know, as mm. I was talking to myself. And yeah, that's, that's something I love, like when it just sort of uh, where you end up like processing out loud or onto a page where... Um, where you haven't fully uh, understood it yourself consciously, and then it just sort of 
all comes together. I love that. Yeah, me too. It felt it feels good. I actually think that's what happens in equine therapy for me too, that it's interesting what comes up and how um, that can be also tapped into through the body rather than getting really heady about it. All of this is new for me personally, going more. And I say that it's new for me, but it's not. I'm, I've been doing yoga for a long time. So when I'm doing things like yoga, one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's a, a good outlet for me. Actually, any physical exercise, it's a good outlet for me to feel my body in a different way than I'm able to feel my body most of the time. So I'd love to hear about the work that you're doing uh, or that you want to be doing with yoga, with your your grad work and kind of the some of the thoughts that are bouncing around in your head. So I've been practicing, like I just said, for a while. And my yoga practice is closely tied to my recovery path from addiction. I did practice when I was active in addiction, but my practice deepened a lot after rehab and I did my yoga teacher training and it was just a type, it was a, it was a medicine that I needed the awareness, the conscious movement practice. It was, I even have a hard time describing why yoga was so important for me throughout my recovery process. So one of the reasons why I'm in a somatic Um, body psychotherapy program is because I want to bring yoga into therapy sessions. And actually through my program, I've had one practice session. I'm not uh, licensed or certified. So it's for it's for educational purposes more than anything. But I had my one practice session. And it was actually in a yoga studio, which I realized Um, for my future practice, I would love to do therapy sessions in a yoga studio where we can explore different poses and what emotions come up while you're in a certain pose. So I don't know if you're familiar with Bessel van der Kolk. No. He wrote this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, that's on my reading list. Yeah, it's really intense. So I would definitely not it because it goes into a lot of trauma. The book brings up a lot Mm -hmm. of case study trauma, but it's really great. He talks about yoga and there's other somatic experiencing. But so to go back to Bessel van der Kolk, your body holds trauma in ways that we can go through life without acknowledging. But you know, maybe we get a a twinge in our shoulder when, and then we don't have any conscious awareness about the mental state or what's going on with our brain at the time of the twitch. Or a lot of people cry in yoga poses, in certain poses, because it's really I've done that. Yeah, I've cried. <laughs> I've cried so much in yoga. Oh my um, God, <laughs> so I want to bring that into a therapy session and have and create a space where um, we can do a session like, oh, you're having a hard time expressing yourself. Maybe we can do stuff that would correlate well with your throat chakra, or you're having a hard time feeling rooted or grounded. We can do something. And then the added benefit is we're doing these poses, but you can stop whenever you want. You can say, I'm feeling 
this, this, and that. And I would like to explore that more. So really all of the knowledge of the session ideally would be coming from your body and then having the space to process what your body is telling you in that moment. And that's what I really want my future practice to be like. That sounds amazing because I've definitely had um, experiences like that where I would be in a yoga class and this was in in college. So like a very large class uh, of people that I had to see every day. And, uh, and certainly while like space was made, it was a class that was, you know, the pace is dictated by that, by that group of people, by a professor and then the group of people. And Mm. so the feeling of like not being able to stop and like really be like, Hey, yo, the, I didn't realize I had you know, whatever this is like trapped here and mm-hmm. now it's just sort of releasing, but, oh, okay, we're going on to something else. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very intense. And yeah. And, oh, those, um, yeah, nothing like crying upside down to <laughs> like just humble you. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and at the time I was like using, um, I was, you know, back, you know, pre-COVID when I wore makeup, um, (laughs) I would just darken my eyebrows a little bit. And so the tears like ran up like through my eyebrows uh, (laughs) and then made my eyebrows run. So I just had like tear tracks, like just up my face. Um, And so basically just like, but my mascara just like running like up. And so just, oh, wow. Yeah. Nothing, nothing quite humbling in that in that manner <laughs> just, oh. just a whole new kind of human moment <laughs> yeah that sounds that sounds intense <laughs> sounds maybe releasing maybe just intense mm-hmm. yeah and just ultimately like even as it's happening just it's just sort of being like okay so we're gonna laugh about this later but we're yeah. gonna worry about this now yeah i've had classes where um i've been triggered because they were so full. I was actually just starting to go into a relationship that like a sexual intimate relationship with someone Mm -hmm. that I hadn't been intimate in a while. And I went to a yoga class. And I think just because of the state that I was in someone, I think there was a man, it was a cisgendered man that was next to me. He has no idea what's happening, but his foot touched me or something. And I was, it just really set me off on a trauma response of not feeling safe anymore or not feeling like mm-hmm. I was, it, it, it was just an intense response because there's been multiple times that I've been in classes where someone's toe accidentally touches me and it didn't trigger me at all. But mm. to be able to process something like that and maybe even... If I were my own client, I would have liked to have gone to my therapist and been like, we were in this pose and I'll show you the pose. And then this happened. And I would like to go into what was really happening for me then and kind of like deconstruct that. And you can't, you can do that with, I was able to do that with just talk therapy with my therapist. So I was able to process it. I just think bringing in the, the movement would have been really helpful. Yeah. Cause you're right. There isn't, it's, it's very generally talk therapy is very much like you sit on this chair, I'll sit on this chair, maybe someone's old school and there's a couch involved. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's, but it's very, um, 
yeah, it is, it is talk oriented and there's not a whole lot of like embodied somatic movement. It's very true. I love that you mentioned being triggered and specifically you mentioning like cisgender men in terms of yoga, because I had completely forgotten like part of my experience with yoga classes and it was, um, and it was in college. It was very difficult navigating situations where we would have to like partner up. Mm -hmm. And I had like, I, I knew myself, I knew where I was at and I knew what I was and was not capable of. And so Mm -hmm. it put me in the position where I had to assert a boundary um, that felt really uncomfortable to articulate, but just me saying like, Hey, I cannot have a cis male partner. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I can do. That's not okay for me. At times where that wasn't something that like the professor was there to facilitate or make easy. Uh, and I'm not like a very, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm incredibly shy Mm. And and in, in like a big group setting, especially a classroom setting where like education has like its own kind of trauma stuff for me, um, I I withdraw from people like really strongly and have a really hard time relating to other people uh, or putting myself forward in any way. And so like any kind of partner up thing is like already like really uh, like red alert for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. just socially. And then you add like potentially triggering intimate contact with like a strange cis man. And I'm like, ah, just, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And, and so having to put myself forward and actually say to some guys faces and be like, you know, they'd turn to me and be like, oh, Hey, do you want, and I, and I would have to be like, actually, and be like as respectful as possible, as, as respectful as possible, but just say like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not comfortable having like a cis male partner. Thank you for understanding. Um, And I can't remember like how much information I I gave them. Uh, I don't remember if I said because PTSD, (laughs) like, I don't remember. (laughs) Like, I think I, I don't think I, I think I was like enough in my own space that I was like, I don't owe them my medical history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, but certainly like, I remember just kind of like that kind of like walking into a wall kind of expression on some guys' faces (laughs) when when it happened, (laughs) just sort of like, oh, (laughs) and and having to just like receive that and be like, okay, I'm going to go over here now. And it was like, okay, bye. (laughs) Um, And it's very very uncomfortable because like being assigned female at birth, I was really socially programmed to apologize for, Mm. I mean, existing basically, but Mm -hmm. literally everything. And so those situations that I was put in were, were kind of really challenging, sometimes triggering. And yeah, there, there was just like, yeah, there was a lot that went on with yoga. Yeah. Yoga. Yeah. Trixie Minx. (laughs) (laughs) Such an accurate, accurate description. I've had similar experiences where, um, I, I had a, a yoga class that I would almost always just opt out of partner work, Mm -hmm. um, because I just didn't even want to, I go through phases where I just don't want to touch people and I don't want to be touched by people. And I definitely don't want strangers touching me. So mm-hmm. I I felt like my teacher was really aligned with that being an okay thing for me though. So I I appreciated that. 
that most of the time when partner things would happen, she'd look at me and I would either like shake my head or shake my hate, shake my head. Yes or no on if I was going to participate in that particular part of the class or not. That's awesome. Yeah. And actually the particular teacher I'm thinking of, she's also, I believe a therapist. I felt an extra level of support there. But uh, yeah, partner work can be for me too. I highly relate to being it being nerve wracking. Like I don't really ever want to do acro yoga. I think that people really love acro acro yoga. But I don't know I don't. what that is. Okay, um, it's like so it's always partner based, and you usually have a base person on the ground, and then you have another person that you do yoga-like poses while you're on the person. Oh, is it like the base word being like acrobatic yoga? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, we did some of those poses in class. That was a lot of like the the partner work. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. I was never yeah, I I'm with you with with I, I'm very much a person like I don't uh and if you know me in my personal life, <laughs> you will interact <laughs> with this. I don't like to be touched. Yeah. Almost ever at all. Mm-hmm. I don't usually hug my family. Like, uh, uh, pretty much like the only person that that I like interact with in terms of touch is is a partner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so my partner is generally like the only person that I'm fine with them touching me. I'm, I'm thrilled that bowing to people rather than shaking hands is entering the the mainstream culture. Well, with COVID. Uh, I not thrilled with how that happened, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to not be weird for not touching strangers anymore. Uh, Cause don't enjoy that. Yeah. There was a lot of hugging going on in my undergraduate and it took me. Oh my God. So much hugging. So much hugging. And I'm just, oh like, my God. I'm just like not do this. Cause I don't actually know you very well. I know we had a class together and I'm like, but that doesn't mean we need to do like a 30 second hug in the cafe. Oh my gosh. All the time, <laughs> all the time. Oh, like, I don't even know you. Like, what are you I doing? Know. Like, in, like we? a hug instead of a handshake. Like I just yeah. got your name. I yeah. don't need to smell you. Like I, yeah. I don't need you like all up in my space. Like, please yeah. don't touch There was me. some, my first <laughs> semester, someone had, um, paint on their face and it took me so off off like it she walked up to me and she put her forehead on my forehead and put paint on my forehead I was like what the hell is happening right now and then she walked away from me and I was just like what it took me I'm still processing to this day (laughs) (laughs) and it happened so fast that I didn't know what was happening and I wasn't even able to be like don't do that I was just like what just happened what just happened oh my god that is so that is so our school yeah it is and I was like okay well now I have paint on my forehead that I have to go get off because I was like this is so weird it was a first semester too uh I did happen to go to like a pretty hippie high school that um, the weirdness of probably didn't affect me as much as may the the weirdness would be. Mm-hmm. I I didn't come from like a structured prep school or like a regular school even that it seemed more normal. The weirdness seemed a little more normal to me. Yeah, boundaries definitely 
yeah, struggled struggled with that in college. Uh, at that college, mm-hmm. there there were just a whole bunch of people that had zero boundaries, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and just like didn't, yeah, just like wouldn't ask, would just would just come up and and try to touch you, like really in like a really personal way. Yep. And just assume that like everyone was on like you know the same wavelength, man, and yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I I think it I think it like went a long way that I tend to have like a pretty stoic like Wednesday Adams like I might stab you face um <laughs> that I just kind of walked around with. So uh-huh. I, I definitely like visibly had a different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> uh but there are some people that just, you know, whether it was substance use or just like mm. where they were at mentally, like didn't receive that message (laughs) that message um and and would try to like go in for a hug or something and um you know and and would be really surprised when like my response would be to like shrink back from them Mm -hmm. or like jump away or like hold up hands and be like actually i don't like to be touched Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just like like, what yeah and (laughs) this is unheard of yeah like what's happening like, sorry to harsh your vibe but people are different yeah <laughs> i get all my touch buckets filled from petting my dog and cuddling with my dog and so last semester in grad my previous my first semester in grad school we had a, um a class called body movement observation analysis that we had to do observation journals every week of a different event and almost all of not almost a good chunk of mine were always observing my dog (laughs) and Mm. or my interaction with my dog and or him walking or something and it was last semester that my teacher she brought up she was like you know you talk about animals a lot you should really think about animal assisted therapy and I had never thought thought about doing anything with animal assisted therapy and I had that comment in mind when I saw equine I was like oh yeah I do love animals and I do love the support that they provide in a way that a human being could never in my opinion could never provide the same comfort that I get from an animal I couldn't get from a person and even when I do have an intimate partner I go through phases where I don't want to be touched by anybody, not even them. Mm-hmm. And but I'm like, come here, Harold. <laughs> You're gonna sleep on my pillow tonight. <laughs> We're gonna cuddle. And I don't know. Um, but it de- that doesn't mean that I would want some any kind of human contact. Yeah, my dog is totally different for me as well. Um, and I, I definitely, I mean, first of all, I just have to acknowledge that you said the phrase touch buckets and I loved it. (laughs) Um, I wish, I wish you could see all the faces that I made in response to that. That was amazing. And I adore it. Thanks. (laughs) Touch buckets is fantastic. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, definitely me and my dog, same thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, very touchy and and very snuggly and uh and i mean it helps that she's like the snuggliest dog that i have ever had in my entire mm-hmm. life um and has been since the day we brought her home where she was uh she would like grumpus at us if she wasn't in somebody's lap 
she would she would like get tired and be cranky and like actually start just like growling <laughs> she she'd just be like sitting on the and and it it the first time it happened i was like i didn't understand what was going on she was just sitting she kept like throwing herself into the same pillow trying to get comfortable and I'm just watching her like trying to adjust and she's this tiny little like 10 week old puppy mm-hmm. rescue pup this is like I think maybe like the first or second night we had her, and and so we were still like interpreting her communication styles. Mm-hmm. She started just going, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, what? What's going on? What's going on? I I fed you. I took you outside. I did all the things, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting there on my computer, and she's just staring at me, and and progressively getting louder until I came over and sat next to her to to try and like figure out what was wrong and she immediately was like oh good and sat on my lap and went straight to sleep and I was like oh okay that's too cute she was just sitting there grumpusing about not being comfortable enough she was like Mm. no one is snuggling me and I can't go to sleep if no one is snuggling me oh that's (laughs) too cute and she is um she is still like that a little bit, so a little <laughs> less so, but um, a little more willing to like find her own snuggle spaces. But uh, oh, she is a snuggle monster. I love and that. I love it. I adore it. I'm so happy. But yeah, that's um, I love that observation about like, hey, like if you're listening to this and you also get your touch buckets. <laughs> <laughs> by mostly like animal contact i think that's an amazing observation is that maybe some kind of like animal assisted therapy could potentially be extremely helpful for you yeah and and even comparing my dog harold to the horses it's a different fulfillment that i'm getting and they're both it's both amazing the the amount of joy my heart feels when a horse rubs its nose i guess it's not its nose what do you call the the long part is on a horse. Is it still just its nose? I guess it's its face. Like the the are you talking about like the bridge of the nose? Yeah. So like yeah. there's the, the little there's the nostrils that feel like velvet. And then oh, there's like I love the, that. Oh. The, when they like put their nostrils and then put their face near or on you. And then like you can bring your hands around their head and just like warmly embrace a horse's head into your chest it's just amazing it's just amazing I just love Mm. it yeah I love like that that lean of the face it's Mm -hmm. just so yeah oh I miss that yeah that's Um, pretty great I do eventually want to so it doesn't usually involve riding the horses very much um my therapist said she we can sometimes ride but she wants to know the the why behind it and uh, Mm-hmm. For me, the why would be just be like, I want to ride a horse. <laughs> I love riding horses. <laughs> I would like to ride the horse. And maybe one day we will ride. I was actually supposed to have therapy today, but the high here was like 14 degrees. Oh. So I didn't want to <laughs> be outside for an hour. Oh my Wait, goodness. She, she offered Zoom, but I didn't, I guess I didn't want to see her without the horses. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. Um, maybe we'll That's do totally Zoom. fair. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Will really the horse to... be on the Zoom call? Because yeah. if not, I am good. Are you going to be outside with the horse in 14 degrees? <laughs> and didn't you just get a huge blizzard or something? Or is that not in your neck? Of... 
It's been snowing like every other day for like a week. I, Ooh, God. <laughs> it's it's I crazy. There's so much snow, but I might actually finally be able to do something that I've wanted to do my whole life, which is, um, and I just like, you know, I, I never got around to it as a kid. And then we started getting less and less snow. And uh, yeah, but there's finally a whole bunch of snow and I could potentially create a snow goon, which is from Calvin and Hobbes. Did you ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Not enough to know what that is. Oh, that's my jam. That's okay. a, it's a it's a comic. Oh, I do know what Ca- Calvin and Hobbes is. I mm-hmm. I saw them in the the newspaper as a child, but I don't. Yeah, I didn't like read the. I don't know what the snow goon is. That what you said? Yeah, snow goons. They're they're like mutant snowmen. So like, oh. uh, he you know it's it's a boy and his tiger. Mm-hmm. his pet tiger and he has a very active imagination and that's most of the comic right there mm-hmm. and uh and so he he creates these really elaborate snow sculptures basically and then Ooh. one year things get out of hand and he creates like mutant snowmen like <laughs> snowmen with like two heads and they're like monsters and they come to life and try to kill him and mm. um, and so they're, you know, and because they start making their own snow goons. And so there ends up being like an army. Yeah, totally. Like you could probably find some at your library, but like there are books and books of Calvin and Hobbes and they are charming as hell and super on point always. Um, they're great. Yeah, I went to school with someone, two people that were um, really obsessed with Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes and they always had the books with them, but I, I just, for some reason, didn't read them very much. I should Google these snow goons from Calvin and Hobbes. They sound cute in a scary way. (laughs) They're, they're more charming than anything else. Okay. You know, just, just sort of like, yeah, if, I mean, yeah, I could I could imagine one of them being outside like the Adams family house or something. I don't know. They're they're charming. I like them. Yeah. Cool. I want to I want a two-headed mutant snowman. I want to make that happen for my neighbors. Definitely. I think they'll I think everyone will appreciate it. <laughs> I was just listening to another podcast today and they were talking about Valentine's Day and one of the guests on the podcast was saying she knew that her partner her girlfriend was right because their first valentine's day she made her partner a bouquet of baby doll legs and then that's hilarious her partner (laughs) made her i can't remember now but another equally weird and kind of creepy valentine's day and they were like it was our first valentine's day and we knew we were meant to be and it was like it was pretty funny yeah, I actually have a Valentine for my partner frames and like it's just like on the outside and it's just a heart and it's like made out of construction paper and it just says like I despise you the least. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm like going in a frame, going yeah. on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we like we just don't care about Valentine's Day at all. That's great. I love it. At least I thought we didn't, but he's like, hey, I got champagne. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't ruin this. <laughs> we don't we care, have, remember? We have a zero effort agreement. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. During COVID, I have felt more inclined to celebrate things that I'm usually not inclined to do anything for. 
it is true. The passage of time and like marking it somehow has definitely been very important for me. But for me, it generally kind of takes shape in terms of um, like the witches' sabbats, but that's certainly mm-hmm. not everyone's cup of tea, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> My friend has a witches' circle every week. That seems pretty cool. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, this is totally off topic from what we're talking about. But um, there is this training that I'm familiar with. It's a yoga class called All Bodies Rise. And mm-hmm. it started out as Love Your Body. And they do this really cool thing going back to touch and being in yoga where they have a little, and I'm sure other places do it too. They have a little thing, a card that you get at the beginning of class and you either put yes or no on the front of your mat. So they know if you feel comfortable with adjustments or not. Nice. So, cause like sometimes when you're in yoga class, someone will just come up and adjust you. And it's really hard For me personally, it's hard for me to be like, could you please not touch me while I'm like kind of already in a very vulnerable spot position that I feel like like losing my balance. So I usually am not able to say no while it's happening. I like the card because then they just know they just look at the card and they're like, oh, this person doesn't want adjustments. They'll just do their practice on their own. And I really want to bring. That's awesome bring that into more yoga spaces where there's more of a clear consent card. Yeah. So how would you describe, if people haven't heard this term before or they're not aware of it or they're not into yoga, how would you describe trauma-informed yoga? You know, that is a great question. And I'm actually planning on doing, so before COVID, sorry, of course I have a backstory before I answer the question. That's cool. Um, before COVID, I was going to start volunteering for this organization called Yoga Behind Bars, mm-hmm. and they provide trauma-informed yoga inside prisons. It started in ooh, either Washington or Oregon. It's so bad how often I get those dates mixed up too. I think Washington. <laughs> I think Washington. And then they work in some of Colorado's in Washington and I think some other prisons around the country. And I was obviously once COVID, I think prisons actually still aren't allowing people to visit. Prisons got hit really hard by COVID. Awful. Awful. It's really, it's really horrible. The amount of people that have lost their lives to COVID while incarcerated. Yeah. Um, it's, it's terrible. It's yeah. That's a whole topic on its own, but so I haven't been able to go, but they have an online teacher training that I'm wanting to hopefully do in the next few months that specializes on trauma informed yoga specifically for people who are incarcerated. But beyond that, I think trauma informed yoga is just understanding a lot of what I was talking about before that your body holds a lot of trauma and there needs to be boundaries and awareness around the anxieties and past that can get brought up while in already vulnerable positions like yoga poses. I'm definitely looking to, I'm super stoked to expand my knowledge on trauma-informed yoga So when I teach my classes, my yoga for recovery at the rehab, I never touch my clients unless they give me permission. 
So like as a psychiatric tech, I really don't ever touch the period. But then as a yoga instructor, if they're having a hard time with a pose, I'll often go back there and sit next to them and get into the pose and help them walk through the pose through watching me rather than try to move their body to do the pose. And sometimes for like assistance and relaxation, I'll ask if I can place my hand on their back or something. And yeah, I never touch without consent first. Yeah, that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like the number one thing for me in yoga was um, being sure that the teacher was going to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teachers that um, that's just not on their radar, especially when someone I've noticed if the teacher is really alignment focused, which my training, my yoga teacher training is actually very alignment focused. They'll just place their hands and it's not, it's not even like the, the touch is not inappropriate or sexual. It's just, unexpected to like place their hands underneath your arms to lift them up or something like that where it's innocent enough but and also innocent enough is in the eyes of the beholder of what might that touch bring up and that's another that like brings me back to your body holding so much that your brain is not aware of so you can cognitively say this is like Nothing much, but that touch might bring something up in your body that is unexpected. Yeah, that touch could be just completely alignment focused on the teacher's side, you know, like go Mm -hmm. up and, you know, just sort of like put their hands on somebody's hips, for example, and like, Mm -hmm. boom, massive trigger. Yeah. And that, and that's, (laughs) that is, that is what it is. And that's that's why I I honestly like I I would love it if more yoga teachers were trauma informed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's becoming much. I think yoga therapy, and I think trauma informed. It's becoming more and more of a thing. Well, I'd love to um, to bring this back around to equine therapy. Just as we as we start to wind down, how would you say that equine therapy is is helping you right now? It's helping me with my my relational skills. It's helping me tap into my present moment somatic experience on a much deeper level than I think I've ever experienced through a therapeutic lens at least. It's like how how does how does this moment feel and how does this moment feel while I'm in relation to this other magnificent being standing in front of me mm-hmm. meaning the horse. Yeah, it's super, it's really exciting to be completely honest. It's just very exciting to see what comes up because there's, I don't really have to have an agenda when I go into the therapy session and I probably never had to have an agenda, but it's so not about what happened two years ago or a week ago or when I was five. It's just whatever comes up while I'm standing in the field talking to my therapist, working with these horses. And I really like it. Yeah. I like that you talk about having an agenda because that's definitely like, as I head into like weekly talk therapy, I find myself, yeah, that agenda being like, all right, so what happened last week, like that I need to, that I should process, like that I need to like update her on, um, you know, what, 
what stuff from the past, you know, do I want to kind of work? Yeah. Like I go in and, you know, I've definitely gone in without an agenda, but there's, there's nothing quite like leaving a talk therapy session feeling like you haven't actually done any work that mm. you just kind of like shot the shit for an hour. I hate that. Um, so and, my experience has been, I was like, my therapist is like my best friend. And I'm like, no, she's <laughs> not. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and like, and I, and that, that feeling of like, oh, I like, I was supposed to be doing something else or, you know, like I wasted time. Like there's this other stuff I could, why did I just, just mm-hmm. like, I was supposed to be doing work and I didn't do work. Mm-hmm. Um, or especially if I realized like, oh, that thing that upset me, why didn't I talk about that? Why didn't I talk about literally anything um, that mattered? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just like, which is judgments. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I love the, the agenda observation. That's great. And um, it's great to thinking about, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and I didn't really like think about it until I was on the call with you when you were talking about being there with the horse and that somatic experience and just going back in my recollection to, yeah, like you have to be very aware of what your body is doing or what you're feeling in the moment with a horse because they respond so strongly to you. If you're tense, they'll get tense, you know, and you, you have to, to be aware of that and be mindful of that. And, uh, and that's just like a whole, a whole part of that dynamic that I had kind of forgotten because it's been, it's been so long. And there is also like that. Yeah. There's, there's a, a majesty to them. There's like a a communion thing that takes place. And, and that's part of why I desperately want my, my partner to, um, to have that experience too is, uh, is he's six, three. Oh, and like I don't know that he's ever had an experience with an animal that is bigger than he is, <laughs> and I think that's oh, wow. like weirdly important. Um, yeah, and it's so powerful, and uh, and having that like communion, um, mm-hmm. that like understanding and like forming that trust of like, oh, you're not gonna stomp on me, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, yeah, I like I desperately like want that for him because it's so it's so humbling in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is also empowering like to know that like, Hey, like it's an experience of like, wow, self-regulation mm-hmm. like actually affected such an incredible uh, like dynamic between like two life forms where like I was smaller and I affected, you know, I, I transformed this interaction through that. Mm-hmm. And, and this was something that like me and this, this animal did together. And there is like a spiritual communion kind of um, thing. And, and and I love that, that we've talked about dogs and horses during this episode too, because they're, they're like two animals that have always really stood out to me in terms of their relationships with humans, mm-hmm. like throughout all of human history, um, like dogs and horses are, are just two like really shining examples of like a very close relationship with with humans and yeah I just had this I just had this memory come up I dated the one and only time I've ever dated like a staunch Republican was because his dad had horses (laughs) like like going out to their property and going to be around the horses and I I don't know why what you just said reminded me of that so oh I think it's because that guy that I'm talking about he called his dad he called horses big dogs 
He was like, oh, yeah, we're going to go see the big dogs. And I was like, I hate you. Let's go see the big dogs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> we didn't last I... very long. <laughs> oh, I love that story. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Priorities. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, you, your dad has horses and they live out in the middle of the desert. And I just absolutely love the desert. So that sounds good. Well, what what advice do you have for anybody who's thinking about getting into equine therapy, who's thinking maybe, maybe I should give this a shot. What would you say to him? Don't be afraid to try it. Fear is welcome, especially if you're working with therapeutically trained horses that are used to being around kids and all sorts of people. They're probably very comfortable around you and try to go in without the expectation of it being like talk therapy because it's very dramatically different. And if you're, if you are in the space of being open to that difference, it's like pretty phenomenal to work from the body up to the brain rather than the brain down to the body. Yeah. Just allow yourself to be really in the moment and experience it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited I got to talk to you about this. And I'm so excited that, yeah, that you're doing this and um, and that it's helping. And I'm just, I'm like thrilled for you. I always feel really great about our interviews. I know this is our second one. So maybe always is like, <laughs> not the, but I feel great about this. <laughs> Yay. Awesome that you have so much experience with horses. It sounds like you should give maybe if you feel ever inclined to do equine. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm like clapping. <laughs> yeah. Here, like tiny, 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 quiet clapping. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to, to go kind of wander around and be like, so, and y'all take Medicaid. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe hopefully that is, hopefully that's a thing. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Cause I certainly like I'm in an area where there's lots of horses, but uh, yeah, whether whether or not there's horse therapy, I I have no idea. I literally never thought of it, so I was really excited to to hear you talking about it and being like, oh my gosh! I would yeah. love to hear what your experience is like finding yeah. it, and if you find one, what what it was like for you. That would be groovy. I'm gonna get looking. Cool. Well, good luck with your search. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for coming and being so open and talking about, yeah, all the, all the incredible stuff that you have going on right now. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be on your show and I hope you have a good night. Thank you so much for listening. A huge shout out to Emers for their wonderful review. I deeply appreciate it. It makes a massive difference and it means the world to me. Thank you for thinking my voice is soothing too. I was very nervous about starting a podcast because I was pretty self-conscious about my voice and hearing folks say that it's calming or soothing helps encourage me to keep going and even try new things. So thank you very much. Celebratory air horns, your way. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com. To contact me, to learn more about the guests and the podcast, or to donate. Let me know if you're interested in joining me on the show. I would love to have you. Finding OK is crowdfunded and paid for out of pocket. I am unemployed with the pandemic, and you only need $1 to help. 
please visit buymeacoffee.com backslash finding okay to contribute. You can find me on Facebook, where I post relevant articles, art, memes, and resources daily. Feel free to friend me, Hecate F-O-K, H-E-C-A-T-E-F dot O-K-A-Y. I have created a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors. You are welcome there, and I hope you'll join us. You can find me on Instagram, and thanks in part to Emers, I also got up the nerve to start streaming on Twitch. My handle is Hecate underscore Finding OK. Tune in there for games and hopefully someday ASMR. Please take a minute to rate and review the podcast to help me reach more listeners. Reviews are featured on the website and you get a shout out on the next episode. If you can't afford to donate, leaving a review and sharing online or through word of mouth is the best way you can help the podcast. Please share, subscribe, and donate if you can. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding Okay. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life. For your life. For your life. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on fighting. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life. How would you say that equine therapy is is helping you right now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>